This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Good afternoon. Welcome to the May 4th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. I'm agronomist Brian Schrader from East Central Indiana, and I'm joined today, as I always am, by co-host Carl Joran from Western Indiana. How are you this afternoon, Carl? I'm doing all right, Brian. We're sitting here on about a half inch of rain in the Lafayette area, and there's some that's continued to forecast here uh, for the rest of the day, but uh, I think you guys maybe to the east are going to catch a little bit more of it here than what, what I'm due for. How about you? Yep, as, as we sit here right now at about 10 after 3 Eastern, I'm on the verge of getting another whack here, and I expect before we get done with the podcast this afternoon, uh, I'll probably have a fair amount of uh, additional rain coming. I'm about a half an inch as well. But uh, today, because we're kind of in a holding pattern in Indiana, we thought we'd try something a little bit different. And so we're going to have an IPA on the IPA this afternoon and uh, have a conversation with several of the guys around the state of Indiana, just kind of getting a report on what's going on. And then we'll probably do a little bit of uh, riffing on some of our favorite and perhaps infamous uh, agronomic topics this afternoon as well, if we get into the chance to have the time. So uh, with that, maybe let's uh, start around the horn here a little bit, get a layout of what's going on across the state from each of these guys as uh, they can kind of introduce where they're at. And most of them have been on the podcast before, at least. Uh, looks like from this crew, everybody's been on the podcast at least a couple times now, Carl. So uh, let's start uh, kind of in the Indianapolis and North area a little bit. Let's start with uh, my fellow agronomist for Eastern Indiana, uh, Eric Miller. Eric, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Well, thank you for having me. I, uh, I'm going to be the... Uh uh glimmer of optimism with the group we are going to plant a crop this year i promise it may not look like it currently it may not happen until next week or the week after but by god we're going to plant it um i was going to say that i've only had about a half inch here um i guess uh, uh tuesday the third evening of the second but now it's just pouring down rain. So I'm sure we've added another quarter to that also. Um, planting progress, let's see here. We had a good run north of Indianapolis and just, just as a stroke of luck also was the heaviest precipitation Saturday, the what 30th into the morning of the first. So the area that was well ahead of schedule and planting successfully into good conditions, received somewhere between two and two and a half inches of rain over the weekend and is followed up with another, I mean, anything is too much at this point for that area. So we are in a uh, holding pattern and it's gonna be probably this time next week to the tail end of next week. And we're gonna have an idea if any of this stuff is surviving or not. But, Eric, uh, you said you had a good run. I mean, I know you had a lot of progress. Was it fit? I mean, are were planting conditions good? Yes. Um, now, so so my barometer is very simple. If someone has to ask me, call and ask. Say, or get a phone call. Ring, ring. Hi, Eric. I'm thinking about heading to the field. What do you think? That's the tail sign that it's too damn wet 
and they're calling me to get the second opinion for me to, you know, say it's okay. And I caught a few of those the further east I went and fewer of them the further west I went. And the further west had more activity. And so conditions were fit. Um, but it was a narrow band. It was probably only a 10-mile band north and south that caught that rain. And on the either side of it, it dropped well below a half an inch. And if that area would only caught a half inch of rain, everybody had been tickled shitless. Uh, but as it is, it's just a, it's just a waiting pattern. Okay. Uh, let's uh, maybe move a little bit north. Brian Early, uh, I guess Peru and the directions north from there. What, what did you run into? What were conditions? What are things uh, like right now, Brian? Uh, so I am sitting for the last three or four days of the inch and seven tenths. Um, we have actually had a lot of field work done, uh, more so pre-plant anhydrous. You've seen a lot of anhydrous. Uh, ground's really great, in great shape. Everybody's been commenting how, commenting how good it has worked up. Um, not every field has some wet spots like you expect. I mean, our biggest drag this year is we just cannot get anything to, to get warm. We've been, even this past weekend, when you looked at the temperatures across the state, we were almost 20 degrees colder than southern Indiana. So the uh, we're not so much really wet. We don't have water standing, but we just can't shake this cold. So it's uh, I'm probably about 5% planted. Uh, across my geography and uh and way more beans and corn very little corn done so i think people have been hearing our message that uh, if it's marginal to hammer on beans and let the corn go and that seems to be what everybody's doing this year all right hey, brian i'm going to jump in real quick i you know it's interesting you talk about the temperature because um i agree with you what was it wednesday night thursday morning the let's see here 30, 28th the morning of the 28th April the 28th, it was cold. I mean, there was frost on the windshield, but ground temperature here at my residence was still almost 54 degrees. And I just looked, as I looked at the rain gauge here this afternoon of the third, after all that rain and more rain, and it is 66 degrees soil temperature currently, current state of affairs. And so air temperature, I agree with you wholeheartedly, hasn't hasn't uh, um, held pace with what the Southern Indiana folks are had, but the soil temperatures have been much warmer than, uh, than I would ex expect it, uh, to be real honest with you. That's, well, that's good to has, know that soil is a good buffer. So I, uh, I'm too lazy to get my thermometer out. I, I like looking at the forecast and stuff. So I, we may toss that one around later, but I could definitely believe that to be the case. Early, don't be so easy on Dr. Miller there. I mean, he's talking about that nice heavy ground there in central Indiana, you and me up to the north. I mean, we got some sand that we can fluctuate quite a ways when it comes to soil temperature when we get cool in the evening. So I, I don't know if that holds true for us. Half the bulk density is like there, isn't it, Carl? <laughs> yeah. We like to refer to it as water holding capacity and a, That's right. you know, what soil doesn't fluctuate as much as your guys' beach sand does. You know, it's funny you guys talk about that. I served part of my career at Pioneer over in Ohio on the north end of Ohio. I had customers that were up by the lake, and it was really interesting to watch soil temperature and lake water temperature up in the early spring. And you could see them both build at the same time. And then there was this huge flip that took place. But uh, early in the spring, ground temperature and the water temperature of the lake usually wasn't that far off. And uh, it was always a good lesson for guys 
you know, we talk about not wanting to plant into cold temperatures. And I always talked about, you know, 50 degree air temperature, we're walking around in our shirt sleeves, talking about how great it is. But if I had to go jump in the lake at 50 degree water temperature, life's a whole different story. And that's a great comparison with what happens when we plant our seed into these kind of wet, cool conditions. I mean, it's the same kind of shock that takes place. So um, let's keep moving here, maybe see uh, some more reports. Uh, we'll stay maybe uh, north here a little bit. Andrew Farrell, uh, product agronomist. Andrew, I know we've had some impact plots planted. Uh, be curious uh, what your part of the world looks like and what your take is from getting around looking at some of these sites for impact plots. Sure. So, yeah, I live in the Frankfurt area, and I guess I'd be the only one on the call to kind of speak for West Central Indiana. So, may say maybe Tipton and then go west of the state line. And if you started in Tipton and started traveling west, planting and field activity would have been few and far in between. And then the further west that you went, the more things picked up. Soils were just more fit over the last three weeks. And uh, especially guys that work ground, they were able to get in and, um, Put a lot of corn in the ground you know there's several operations kind of west of lafayette bigger operations they got a lot of corn in the ground over the last couple of weeks um you know some of the no-till fields actually you know in that area brian you talked about guys went at it a little bit harder with beans i think there were some areas in the central part of the state where more corn went in the ground just because it was a little bit more fit um some of the wind was able to dry out some of the soil we couldn't rely on the heat to do a lot of work but um you know similar story here through the west part of the state that miller talked about with all the rain and now we just kind of sit and wait uh but soil temperatures up and we'll see how much you know some of these big rainfalls pounded the ground and see what kind of crust we get on the soil when we get to 80 degrees next week like we're forecasting so that's kind of uh, just planning progress on the west side. And then as far as our impact plots, which is our basically our final stage of research plots, we were jumping in and going right along with our customers. So on the western side of the state, we've got more impact locations planted uh, than what we do versus the east side of the state. And then our northern Indiana team as a whole, we're sitting right at about 20% planted for corn, 10% planted for soybeans. So... So we'll have some stuff on the research side to get out and look at and test its early season vigor and, and emergence with some of these adverse conditions. And uh, I'm holding on to the same optimism as Miller that in the next two to three weeks, we'll get the rest of them planted in a hurry and perfect warm soil conditions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, let's move a little bit south then. Let's, uh, Jason, what are things looking like kind of south of Indianapolis? Sure. Um, yeah, so we've been talking a lot about soil temperatures and everything else. Um, you know, I guess my observation too, and I haven't actually pulled the data, but having conversations with guys, we're actually behind average on rainfall, but we just keep catching like two tenths here, three tenths there. Uh, so it seems like we're getting a lot more rain this year, but uh, it's just been enough just to keep us out of the field until really last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is kind of when we really started hitting it hard across most of the state. And, uh, you know, it was, it was anything and everything. Um, you know, up until middle of last week, I could drive across my whole territory and probably count on one hand the number of fields that I saw uh, burned down. Um, but driving mm -hmm. around now, you know, I'm starting to see a lot more fields dying off. And it's, Pretty much everything from burn down to putting in hydrous down to a few planters rolling. Um, 
I don't have a good gauge on what percent went in the ground, but uh, they were calling for some rains late last week across part of my territory, and we ended up missing those. Um, and a lot of guys got the plan all the way up until, uh, you know, this rain this morning, I think. So we had, uh, well, at my house, I had an inch and two tenths uh, Saturday night, uh, but just west of Greensburg, you know, they didn't get a drop of rain. So I saw planters rolling out there yesterday. So lots taking place. Uh, you know, as, as Eric kind of said at the very beginning, um, you know, still first week of May, still great opportunity to get some crops in the ground and have a successful crop, even though it is later than last year. But I think it's important to keep in mind, it seems like last year we had a really pretty good early window uh, to get some stuff planted, you know, first, second week of April. So I don't think we're late, uh, but we're certainly later than last year. Yeah. And last, Yesterday afternoon's USDA report for the state kind of confirmed that as well. No big surprise. It just gave us, you know, numbers uh, comparatively speaking. I think we're roughly 15% behind where we were, I think, a year ago, give or take on the date, I think is what I remember seeing. So, well, let's move a little bit further south then, kind of finish up our around the horn here with uh, Dan Emmert. Dan, you probably got more done than anybody else on the call today. Uh, what kind of percentage are you at and what are you you looking at at this point? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably about 50% done with my IPA now. After okay. All <laughs> oh, you meant planning. Gotcha. I meant planning, yeah, sorry, but I appreciate the update, Dan. No, we're, uh, we had a very big, big weekend. Like Jason was saying, guys got most guys started moving in, in some form or fashion, whether it was anhydrous or burn down or planting last Thursday and Friday. Um, prior to that, there was a little bit planted like April 22nd, 23rd on some of our sandier soils. Um, that corn is spiking already. So we're, unlike you guys, we're really starting to, to accumulate heat units. Um, was everything that was planted in the past four days planted in ideal conditions? No. And uh, I, Friday evening, I was coming home and um, we'd be windy, Southern Indiana Country Road. And about five miles from my house, there was a field that, you know, looked okay. And then it, it dropped off and went into a low area. And you could just see ruts where they, they mm -hmm. got into a low spot. And, oh, man, had to keep going. And, you know, made their way out of it. And then probably three miles down the road, there's another field that, that uh, looked like it planted perfect. So the, the rain that we had last Monday, I guess that would have been the, the 25th, was really patchy and spotty. Some guys only had about three tenths. And then there was a band that uh, further north dropped about three inches. So we're spotty. Um, but overall, I would say far southwest portion of the state knox davies martin county south we're probably 20 percent complete and guys have been putting in both corn and beans okay so yeah, that... not where we would like to be but better than where we were a week ago sure okay well guys we we've talked about rain totals we've talked about i mean we touched on a little bit with growing degree units i mean we've i mean 
obviously early season, everything revolves around weather. I'd just be curious for our listeners, two things. One, if you got a weather station at your place, is, is it hooked up to the internet so folks can get access to it or you can get access to others? And then the second one be, I'd curi- I'd be curious about whether, where you get your weather information. Uh, you know, we get asked that a lot. I, all of us as agronomists, you know, where are you looking at it? What forecasts are you looking at? All that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll share with you guys. I am on the southern end of the North Webster reporting area for the National Weather Service. And I'm on the north end of the Indianapolis. So depending on whether you listen to a Fort Wayne weather station or TV station or a radio station in Fort Wayne or one in Indianapolis, you won't always get the exact same forecast. So you have to start to interpolate between those two because North Webster doesn't go far enough south a lot of times and Indianapolis doesn't go far enough north. And so you got to kind of take into some of that and look at a lot of different things. And so I'd just be curious what you guys, and you guys all know I'm the weather nerd of the group. So just be curious, your weather station that you've got at your house, if you've got one, and then where you go to look at forecast or any number of weather information. Go, Miller. So I I usually uh, refer to the old geezers whenever it's uh, weekends like we had and trying to figure out if it's actually going to rain or not. And pretty much everybody starting on Thursday and continuing Friday into Saturday were saying, ah, it's an east wind, it's cold, there's no way in hell it's going to rain, right? Yep. And about 2.30 on, well, uh, about 3.30 on Friday, it was still cool and out of uh, wind out of the east. And then all of a sudden it got humid, just all of a sudden hot and humid. And I tell you, within minutes, the blue clouds built up in the west and an hour later it was raining. And um, so it, it's um, it was almost on cue. Like you knew... Everything, all those fronts coming across Illinois all Thursday, Friday, dried up along the state line and never persisted across the state of Indiana until you got some humidity. And then the other guy, um, and then I heard one this morning, and that was is how fast things dried up yesterday. So yesterday would have been May the 2nd. They said after Saturday night's rain and how quick things dried up yesterday, they said, well, it's going to rain again too much evaporated in too short a period of time. It was going to rain again. Duh, everybody knows that. Um, so it's just funny to hear all the the predictions from what everybody has remembered over the years. Personally, I use IntelliCast. Um, and I don't know where they're pulling. Brian, I, I don't have any clue in hell what the where that comes from. I figured there's a, you know, like Sheldon Cooper on the – Big Bang Theory, whenever he dresses up as the Doppler effect, you know, I figure it comes out of somewhere, right? And uh, so IntelliCast is who I use. And and I stick with one forecast so I can interpret what it's like. You're like, in other words, um, they provide you a rain, uh, a precipitation percentage, but then like in an amount, okay? So like they'll, they may provide you a 50% chance of rain for an inch. Well, it's taken me several years to interpret, well, is there, does that mean 50% of the coverage area is going to get an inch and the other 50% is going to get a zero versus 100% for a tenth of an inch type of a deal? And the app that's associated with that is Storm, uh, is the app. And the reason why I like Storm as the app is because I can, for my entire geography, I can 
tap the screen and get the current forecast and the 10-day forecast for, say, like Noblesville, or I want to go, say, Tipton, and I can just press Tipton, Tipton will come up, and I can look at the forecast, or Rushville, or Greenfield, you know, all over the state, whatever it might be, and that's what I use, um, versus, say, like um, Indianapolis TV station, just WTHR as an example, they're going to be, they're going to provide an Indianapolis forecast. Well, that's okay, but it doesn't hone it in on what's of interest um, or, or when the rain's going to get to a certain county or town. Um, that's where I get my information in telecast and the app is storm. I stick with the one just for consistency purposes. Okay. How about you, Jason? What do you use for yours? Um, I just use Wonderground. That's my quick go-to app, and it's treated me fairly well over the years. So uh, that's that's what I do. And then I log into uh, I forget what the app's called now, but you can see any of the the Davis weather stations that are online. Um, Weatherlink, just to kind of yep. get a gauge for you know some of my reps have the have the weather stations out, so I can see what totals they got. Yeah. So I'm I'm like Jason, where I'll use the wonderground app as well but kind of where i'm at you know stuck between two different um you know trued up trued up weather recordings between the lafayette airport and the gary indiana airport and i all my guys farm in between there and so it's like i don't have a great a great um you know one spot on the map that a guy can go to that's getting that that trued up forecast but in our household i'm on the wonderground app and then the missus is on the weather channel so we always have a good time going back and forth on whose app was right this time and whose was wrong um so i'd imagine the source that you got you know it introduces a lot of variability for how how correct you are yeah. Dan, what are you using? I know I'm pretty sure you were one of the first guys to get a weather station and put it online to the agronomist crew several years ago. Yeah, I'm fortunate to have uh, some really good cooperator customer in-laws. So that was nice. They're, they uh, were early adopters of Inserca and happened to have several cornfields in the area. And so now I guess it's granular now, but their ground truth in that was local weather stations. And hey, I just happened to be in a nice spot for that. So um, yeah, it, it's tied in with the, the Davis weather station network. And then I like that uh, using Wonderground with it because several of those are synced up with that. And if you pull up the forecast for Monroe City or, or wherever it's got, you know, if there's a local Davis station, it's tied in with that network. So that's the one I use. And then, um, oh, Adam Owens, you know, the guest on the podcast last week, he started doing the the weather outlook with GDU and precipitation on a spreadsheet. And so, like any good agronomist, I copied his idea and started doing that. And I'll, I'll use the AccuWeather uh, website for that. It just works well for the locations I have and, and doing a 10-day outlook. Brian, that's great because I asked Dan last week, um, you know, for his file on how he does that. So I didn't realize that was borrowed from Adam. So he can can draw those lines uh, always back to Texas. The best ideas start with people that need them first. Go, uh, Brian Early. How about you? What are you doing for weather? 
Mr. Schrader, I'm going to try to outdo you for the weather nerd. So I, uh, okay. I have nine apps on my phone. I look <laughs> at. Um, but the one, so I, uh, I scrutinize them because I'm trying to figure out which one to, to rely on the most. So for right now, I believe weather underground. So I'm glad to hear a lot of you other guys seem to be the, the best on the spot for getting the precipitation right. So um, I live in a wood, so a weather station is uh, without the wind part because I farm too. That's awesome for spray. So I guess since that's not going to work where I live, I just uh, I, I don't have one. But fortunately, I have a neighbor half a mile away that has a station. So I uh, watch it on Weatherlink and on PWS monitors, couple couple apps that you can use. So I look at that a lot every day. So uh, that's nice having that information right at your fingertips. Yep. Now that trader that feeds in, you know, we're talking about the, the weather sources that we have here in the Davis stations. And so what, which of those feeds into pioneer and granular and Corteva's weather as we're, um, you know, utilizing that to model out things like nitrogen movement and the soil profile, what, what, what all comes together there? Maybe Brian, you know, as you guys are the weather wonks. I, this has changed over the years and this update may be a little old. We were using, and I believe still are using IBM for our weather source. And so for the most part, we've talked about, as I understand it, the sites that would be on there. For the most part, IBM is using um, airport. A lot of municipalities are required to have weather stations that feed in. Uh, Carl, obviously, you'd have the Purdue sites in your neighborhood. And for those mm -hmm. of us that are around Purdue sites, those would feed into there. The last I was under the impression, IBM system was verified weather stations um, and I know over the years weather underground has verified some but there's always been a bit of a rub about getting that done and I can't honestly tell you what part of those weather stations are part of the IBM network um, anymore but that had been at least in the past where we were getting all of our data for the granular tools that Dan mentioned a little bit ago I don't know if any of you other yeah. guys know anything more about that or not if a customer does have their Davis weather stations, there's a spot where you can go into granular and link link up specific fields with specific weather stations. So then rather than pulling off that IBM pillar, it's pulling directly from that station that's, you know, half mile away or mile away or whatever that may be. Yeah. And the big thing to remember too, Carl, with all this is that all the weather data that we get and use for the most part, when you get those precipitation maps, most of those all, even the one that we send out as agronomists on a pretty good basis when it rains, and I think we're all using a very similar website. I know Ben has been a huge fan of it over the years, and I use it. I can't even think of the name of it, but all that data is interpolated from those stations. I mean, there's not a weather station every mile where we can click on it and see when you click on those red spots or those purple spots, that data is being interpolated from all of these stations. And that's just, that's weather science, if you will, 101. That's just the way all of these happen. Now, some part of the reason why we all have our favorite apps is because we think that some of those apps or some of those weather uh, websites do a better job of interpolating that data from point to point. And, and I know that's certainly one of the reasons why I favor a couple of the websites that, that I do, because I just think they're more accurate. So, 
So, Ryan, I'd imagine part of why you wanted to kick things off with weather is that's a the future forecast is a big component to making planning decisions. You know, obviously we have to have fit soil conditions like everybody's kind of mentioned, whether we've had them or not, depending on where you're at in the countryside. But I also heard Brian early make mention of uh, soil thermometers. Um, so maybe early, do you want to speak to your thought process on using soil thermometers? Uh, versus looking at the short-term forecast and soil conditions to make your planning decisions? Well, that was nice to have you to call out the opinionated guy right off the bat, Carl. So um, I would just as soon chuck my soil thermometer in the trash. I do have one that I uh, I only use when it's going to get really cold to uh, see how cold it actually got. So um, I guess over the years, I, I so what really got me, I kept telling all these guys when it was going to get cold in the forecast, they wanted to plant. Um, you know, they kept saying, well, look at the, look at the forecast or what, what do you think? So I, uh, you know, I, I used to stick the soil thermometer in the ground and it would bury 10 to 15 degrees throughout the day and what color soil you stuck it into. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just, unless we see an extended rainy cold period coming, I almost never tell guys not to plant anymore because I just, I would tell guys not to plant. And usually when they were asking, they were wanting to, uh, to feel me out and feel good about their decision if they'd done it. And then if, mm -hmm. uh, if they decided to ignore it, which, you know, looking back, the ones that did ignore it weren't, weren't, uh, making a bad decision. Most of that stuff always came out well. So, you know, I, uh, I guess I still, I favor the forecast. I guess I'm going to leave it at, so unless it's an absolutely atrocious forecast with a lot of rain and a lot of cold, um, that's really my gauge on planning. So I'm, I'm pretty much hands off anymore. I, I guess that maybe I'm getting old and just, you know, I was wrong so many times I need to admit it that, you know, and I think we do a better job on scrutinizing seed quality, uh, emergence with hybrids. Mr. Farrell is doing an awesome job in that. So I just don't see the risk with, with taking a chance like we would have a decade ago. Andrew, Brian brings that up a little bit, you know, with the emergence and everything from an impact standpoint, I know you have a lot of call on, Hey, let's go plant this. I mean, if our cooperators feel like it's fit to go, how, do you have some criteria that you look at for when to pull the trigger on when we are going to plant an impact plot or when we're not, I mean, from this whole weather perspective? No, we don't really have anything set in stone. I mean, we're farmers too. So we're trying to make good decisions and we want to try to plant our plot at the same time, you know, the farmers planting around us. So, um, you know, thankfully when I started this job, I inherited a really good group of farmers who are allowing to put, allowing us to put research plots on their farm. So thankfully for the most part, they're all making good decisions on when they go to the field. So that doesn't force us into, you know, forcing anything where we don't want to, because these, you know, plots are pretty high value to us. Um, but, you know, in a situation like this year where, you know, soil temp was, you know, everybody was showing on their thermometers. If you looked around social media or looked around what agronomists were posting, we were, we were starting to get to that 50 degree point with the weather looking like it was warmer. So for us, it's just, if we could plant into absolutely perfect soil moisture conditions, we'll go. Um, you know, I, like what Brian said, I think we've come a long way when it comes to just improved genetics for emergence and early vigor. And I think we've come an even longer way with seed treatments and that really buffers us pretty well. So, you know, knock on wood, thankfully, I, in my four year tenure here, we haven't had a lot of um, issues when it comes to poor emergence due to being cold or a little bit wet. Um, it's when we, you know, slam something in the mud and then we get a hard crust or something afterwards that's 
just too much to overcome and that's where we get into problems but again we're we're just like farmers too we're going to go when it's good and that's what mother nature deals with sometimes you know 10 out of 10 times you're still going to go play it again if you're in the same situation just it's what you got so yeah well and you think about it and this really i've got to give eric miller a lot of credit and eric stepped away from the podcast here this afternoon for something else but um you know, Eric and I had a conversation a year ago, and if you think about it, if they were waiting on temperatures in northern Iowa and in southern Minnesota and Wisconsin, if they were waiting on 50 degree soil temperature, they'd never get their crop planted in a timely manner. And you look at, you know, nine times out of 10, those are the parts of the United States that are in the Corn Belt, uh, minus, you know, Adam's part of the world and down south. Those are the part of the Corn Belt that tend to lead planting, and they're not waiting on 50 degrees. But Andrew hit it in my estimation it's about proper soil moisture unfortunately for my part of the world these uh soils that have adequate water holding capacity as Miller mentioned you know we're waiting on them to dry out it's it's not always the temperature that's the limiting factor for us we've got to have fit conditions and I I think I'm with Brian um I've probably tended to be probably a little too conservative in that approach over the years as an agronomist trying to make some changes on that uh, but I'm probably not as defiant about no it's got to be 50 or 55 degree soil temperature as I probably was earlier in my career just because anymore and we can talk about why that is or your opinions on why that is it's just hard to wait that long you're not getting that consistent 50 degree temperature until well into April and sometimes even into May I think the past two years have been a great example for that, at least down here. We had, we would have called it ideal soil conditions, but they were only 40 or 45 degrees. And so that soil was being planted and the furrow was closing nice and there was decent moisture, but it was taking three weeks to hit 120 heat units. And so, yeah, that's a lot of time for that seed treatment to wear off and seed corn maggots and wireworm and, and everything else to be feeding on that seed. But, you know, that early planted corn ended up with a good enough stand and, and overall yielded good. And I think the other thing that's kind of got me changing in my thinking a little bit is there's more and more large operations and it's going to take, you know, two weeks of good running, three weeks of good running. And, you know, we look at this spring, how many days of, is it going to take to get that nice two weeks of good running? And so, you know, you, you got to play that risk and, and think about your logistics and, and things like that. I've said last winter that instead of having a winter meeting, we should just have a big board game tournament for, um, you know, like a risk or a monopoly or something and see all the different strategies that people have. And it's a great object lesson on, hey, your neighbor down the road may have a completely different strategy and, and threshold for when he's going to plant but doggone it, you guys both have the same end goal in mind. I agree with that. I think the other thing too, to remember Dan and for the listeners is that our breeders aren't breeding in a vacuum. They recognize that customers are planning earlier. They want to get going. They know that realistically waiting for that 55 or whatever your arbitrary temperature threshold is, they know that that's not realistic anymore. And the, the guys at our breeding locations and Andrew can speak to this a whole lot better than I can, but they're not breeding in a vacuum. They're not just pumping it out. They understand that 
there's a lot of cultural practices that have changed and that's why they're always looking at different things and then andrew's obviously taking that into account when he's going through these impact plots i mean he has to be that's why like you've referenced doing a lot better uh with emergence and with all those other things and then you throw in seed treatment i mean we're just going through the laundry list of folks we've had on the podcast to be fair about it but all of that we're not doing this in a vacuum obviously well and i i don't want to beat a dead horse here but you know that proverbial 50 degree soil temperature that you're looking for i mean is that is that your average soil temperature for the day for the last five days is that it's just got to hit 50 at some point during the day. Um, you know, if you put the probe in the ground in a few different spots, is it going to be the same throughout? I know in Northwest Indiana, we got too much variability that that's not going to be the case. So I think just to what you guys are talking through, planting logistics are just as much of a, as a factor here as, as anything else. And so as long as conditions are fit, um, you know, it seems as if we're, we're better served to go. Uh, the other part to this equation that, uh, I think has become more in vogue is talking about not planting in front of a cold rain and we talk about imbibitional chilling risk and things of that nature. Well, here just a few days ago, I got asked, uh, how long should I be running today? And this was Friday with recognition that Saturday was supposed to bring a half inch of rain with it. And my mealy mouth answer was, well, go till you go till you're okay with it. But I could understand if you if you stop planning around dinner time, and I wouldn't stay up all night planning trying to beat the rain because let's say it it's a you know a goose drowner, um, what what's the benefit there? And of course we wound up with six hundredths of an inch as opposed to the six tenths that was called for in a lot of my area. So even I'm questioning that that um, new adage of don't plan ahead of a cold rain. Maybe we should keep planning until the windshield gets wet. I I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on? Uh, the new school thought there. Just plant beans, My Carl. God. They're so forgiving. You don't have to worry about it. If you're, if you are tossing that around and you can't make a decision, plant beans. Cause if you screw up half of them, they're still going to be good. Right on. I think the, I was going to add just, just one more thought too, you know, over the past, I don't know, say 10 years that I've really been paying attention to fields driving around. You know, there's a lot of tile that goes in every single year, and I don't think we can discount um, in improving the drainage on a lot of these farms over time as well, because the faster you get the water away, the faster they warm up, the faster you get oxygen down to your seed, your roots. I mean, it, I think that's got to be at least a pretty decent sized piece of the puzzle as well when it comes to planting early and in some of these tougher environments. I think too, you got to, what do you call a cold rain? I mean, if, if I look at the, the forecast out through May 13th, we've still got four days with, with over a 65% chance of rain, but gosh, the low accompanying those storms is 60 degrees. That's not gonna make me stop the planter unless it's calling you over two, three inches, something like that. If it's a, if it's a quarter inch, a half inch, and it's going to stay at least 60 degrees, man, I'm going to, going to keep planting as, as long as I can. You know, I don't want mud building up on the closing wheels, obviously, or anything like that, but that's not a cold rain, though. No, that's good delineation. I, I enjoyed Brian's comment earlier about, um, well, just plant beans if you're, if you're, you know, halfway between that decision. So, 
Uh, I think five years ago, maybe we would have had a better debate, but right now, if conditions are maybe less than perfect, less than desirable, and we have to put one of the two crops in the ground, we're probably all in agreement that um, on the front end of the planning window, let's let's get the beans in the ground. Is that is that fair to say? Cheers to that. I would say so. I think the other thing we have to recognize is that these decisions are relative to when the calendar date is sure. as well. I mean, you're obviously, as you get later into a planning season, things start to get compromised just because we know we do have a, you know, a, a finite planning window to really get those high yields. Now we're still in the first week of May, well into that window. So I don't think there's any reason to do anything uh, silly or, uh, you know, push ourselves, but you run into that forecast like Dan's talking about, or it extends a little bit longer. You have to start to make some, you know, do some calculations on what am I going to do uh, based on my planning window and how much I can get done. Uh, I can't help but tease our colleague Adam Banks out in Kearney, Nebraska. I was catching one of their most recent discussions in there and, you know, God awful drought out there talking about pre-water and corn. And he's been looking at planning date trends, much as we all do, you know, in the winter time frame. we all say, you know, as beans don't get planted, you probably lose a bushel every three days or something like that. Well, his, his data would say, if you haven't planted corn by the first week of May, might as well hang up the boots and uh, you know, just don't worry wow. about it. But obviously there's, that's uh, you know, your peak yield and it's all relative, you know, maybe there's going to be some diminishing returns out in Western Nebraska as the calendar keeps turning, but um, I wouldn't say that that's the case here in, in the good state of Indiana. We, we've got great, great opportunity to make an awful lot of bushels when it comes to this year's corn crop. And I wouldn't think any differently about what I'm doing until, you know, maybe three, four weeks from now. And then I'd reevaluate what the current plan is. What, what do you guys think in terms of timeline for reevaluating plan A? Yeah, Carl, I was just thinking when you were brought that up, I uh, just thinking the planting date on corn, I, I, I don't think it's important at all anymore after all these years of planting late and having great yields. Um, beans, I, I think that data you just shared on losing a bushel a day, I think that's very real for, for northern Indiana. Um, when I look at uh, switching hybrids and stuff, it's kind of a similar deal when we've had these late years and we've hung with the full season hybrids, even in the June, it's always been the right decision to not switch out as as hard as it is to stick with it and look at that late number on those bags when you're planting they've always made it to maturity even in the extreme year of 2009 they all made it it was wet but man there's there's more bushels there still and it seems like it's always the right thing to do i can't say it any better than that and i've been through some nasty late planting situations either first time around or late replant that had to be done because of some of the crusting issues that andrew talked about earlier and i Brian's right at this point there I wouldn't even consider making a hybrid switch for a long time Carl for my geography no, it looks like we're all shaking our heads in agreement there so I think that was something mm -hmm. probably worth us covering just in brief but um but yeah Trader where do we want to take things from here well I think well, uh, hey, maybe while we're, go for it Dan. Or while, while we're talking about switching maturities and stuff like that so how early do you stick with these ultra early soybean maturities? Do you decide to pull the plug as we get into the, the back half of May or, you know, like for me, two, eight, two, nine is something ultra early. I know up there, you know, there's some guys doing some late group ones. Are you sticking with mm -hmm. those or are you moving on? I, 
I am Dan. And, and here again, this goes back to, at least for me, and I do have a pocket of guys that are one, nine, two, Oh, two, one guys, and they have unbelievable yields. Brian early knows exactly the part of the world that I'm talking about. Uh, they do incredibly well. I mean, we've had fields well above 80, even into the nineties in years that wouldn't be what you would consider early years in my mind. Maturity on soybeans has always been about spreading your harvest out. And that's what it is. If I, if you could tell me when it's going to rain post flower, I'll tell you what maturity to grow, but we can't do that. And so in my mind, soybean maturity has always been about my harvest window. Do I want to cut beans and then start to move to corn and then come back to cutting beans? How do I want to do that? How does that work with my operation storage? trucking all that kind of stuff so that varies but i'm not changing soybean maturities at all i we i just don't see any reason to do that at this point i actually i'm not sure i see a reason to do it at all based on the philosophy that i've always had so brian outside of out of the freak year 2012 how many years can you remember the early ultra early beans even if you hold on to them to june how many times have you remembered them not being either the best or close to being the best, excluding 2012. I'm not sure I can, excluding 2012. I can't either. That's my point. I, I'm right yeah. there with you. I, I don't see a reason to switch. I, I'd rather just add some more plants and try to keep them things because that, that extra week or week and a half of cutting in the fall, you know, there's some there's some yield gain there with just harvesting beans at 13% moisture sure. instead of 10. Yeah. And uh, anymore, it's so hard to cut beans in the fall. Just getting them done is a is a milestone. Yeah. So it's yeah. Well, well, I give Dan all the credit for helping me think through this a few years ago, and it was a note he sent out to his team, and he referenced this idea that you really need to think about nodes per acre rather than plants per acre, and that that really was revolutionary for the way that I think about soybean. Uh, plants population all of those things and so dan that that all the credit goes to you for helping me kind of think about that and that's a lot of the reason why i continue to hold tight with the maturities that i have and we may just need to add some plants in order to compensate for a little shorter one nine plant dan sounds like uh the next ipa you have is on the brian trader tab to me there you go there you go I don't have Venmo or anything like that. So <laughs> me sometimes. No, I, I agree with you guys. It, it especially you think about drier prices on uh, gas. Boy, let's stick and cut some beans early and let that corn dry a little bit. Well, guys, I think that's a wrap after a good 45 minutes of planting considerations and discussion. Um Listeners out there, if you enjoyed this uh, more relaxed conversation with your favorite Indiana Pioneer field agronomist, uh, please give us some feedback. Let us know what kind of topics you uh, would enjoy hearing about in the future, and we'll be sure to include them in the next session of IPAs with the IPA team. Until next time, be safe and uh, good planting. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.